From the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of beautiful Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, today is March 9th, 2016, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and basically anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. Today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the, well, magic of the internet, I have to say that tongue-in-cheek because you have no idea what we've went through to get this going today, we have Graham Field. Graham, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Where are you located? I've just literally got back home after an 18-hour drive from the other side of Vienna. So 5 o'clock this morning, I started driving. It's now 11 o'clock at night. I just got home. Haven't even lit the fire. (laughs) Fantastic. Just stay cold. It'll probably keep you more alert. And we have Shirley Hardy Ricks, which is the the better half of the Rickses. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much for that. And and Brian is away because he um, he's doing something else. Yes, he's gone um, scouting venues for Horizons Unlimited meetings at the behest of Grant and Susan. So he's somewhere up in the snowy mountains. There you go. And of course, we have Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited. Grant. Hi. Welcome to everybody. And of course, Grant is in British Columbia. Same as me. We're fairly close together. Just a little bit of water and a few hours apart, not too far. A couple of ferry rides. Now, Sam Manicom is missing today, but um, I'll tell you what he did do is he sent me his uh, his picks and plugs at the end. So if I forget that, please remind me, and I, I'm going to throw that in there for Sam. And, of course, myself, Jim Martin. We have a special guest coming in today in just a few minutes, but before we do, we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here a little bit. Uh, today's topics we have, the, the first one is what constitutes an emergency. I assume everyone's prepared for this. Well, that was sort of tongue-in-cheek, yes, prepared. So our special guest today is Tom Woodrow, and Tom is from Adventure Bike TV. Tom, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Hello, pleasure to be here. Well, why don't we start off by finding out a little bit about you. So just sort of tell us what you do and and what Adventure Bike TV is all about. Um, well, I'm the producer of Adventure Bike TV. I have a small media company called Geek Media, um, and we've produced quite a few motorbike-related uh, documentaries, a uh, couple of TV series. Um, and Adventure Bike TV is the kind of main thing we produce at the moment, which is a monthly online um, hour-ish long show that goes out live every month. And where do you have that? How do people find it? Uh, AdventureBikeTV.com, nice and easy. Right, and you can find it on YouTube, right? Because it's it's, it's quite popular on YouTube. It's it's all over the place. (laughs) Well, fantastic. So, Tom, you can just join in on the group discussion, um, and I believe you got the topic. So our our first one we're looking at is what constitutes an emergency, and of course that's why I asked, is everyone prepared? Now, I, I think everyone got a chance to listen to this week's episode of Adventure Rider Radio where we talked about the spot check in devices. Mm, maybe no. not in Australia. Oh, you didn't get <laughs> it in Australia? No, of course we got it, but I've been busy. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Well, basically, it's the, it's the check-in devices. Does anyone use that now? We had one on our trip. We had a um, a spot spot gen, and we used to use it every night to let our kids know that we were still alive and well. Right. Yeah. We use the spots for our hum events, the Horizons Unlimited Mountain Madness events. So we've got a whole crew of them riding all at once using these spots, and we keep track of them. But we don't use it ourselves personally. We had a tracker on our uh, one of our TV series down through uh, Africa, and it stopped working in Spain. So uh, <laughs> with about two days in, so uh, all it did was panic our families. Which tracker was that? 
Uh, I can't remember. It was I. I think it was spot, but it was one of the ones that they build into the bikes. So it's kind of properly kind of uh, attached to the bikes, batteries, and all wired in. Um, but yeah, it didn't it didn't last very long. Uh, but this was kind of uh, three four years ago, and there's been li- you know they've come on such a long way in such a short time in terms yeah. of those trackers. Yeah, and they're, and they're adding stuff all the time. Of course, you've got the, basically we've got the, the two devices, the Spot and the InReach. I know there's other ones out there that are, people are using, but those two devices seem to be the most popular. And um, the uh, the big difference between the, do be, the two being that the InReach one is the two-way communication, the Spot is the check-in. Um, but but anyway, let's let's sort of back up and, and say like, because the thing is with these devices is, here's the deal with it is, and we all know this, that they are a very easy way to call for help. And it basically puts it in the hands of anyone to take on any sort of adventure, prepared or not, and they can just go out there and they can press the button for help. So I'm sort of curious on what you guys think as experienced travelers. That 911 or SOS button that's the real emergency, what constitutes an emergency? What is an emergency? Because the reason I say this is I remember even in the interview that we just did for that last episode, one of the examples was an ATV or something rolled over and they pressed the emergency button. To me, unless somebody was injured there, I didn't really see it as an emergency. So let's start off with you, Grant. I think just calling in that case of an ATV rolled over is is ridiculous and a total waste of resources. In theory, depending on where you are, that could cost you $50,000 for a helicopter to come and get you if you're out in the middle of nowhere. An emergency, a real emergency, is when you are badly injured, you haven't seen anybody all day, and you're lying there in the road, your bike's broken and you can't ride, and it's a real mess, and there's nobody. Okay, then it's an emergency. But if there's any chance of somebody coming along in the next half an hour, it's not that level of emergency. There's always going to be somebody. And if you're lying on the road, injured, whatever, they'll load you in the back of a car and take you to the nearest hospital. I mean, let's be realistic here. We're on a motorcycle, which means that we're probably on a road most of the time, not always, but most of the time we're on some semblance of a road, even if it's a very minor road. So somebody will be along that road at some point or the road wouldn't exist. So there's always going to be somebody coming along to help you, except in really unusual circumstances when you're someplace really remote. So I don't think you should be pushing the button until you really need to push the button. Hey, Graham, do you use one as well? Uh, No. When uh, I read this question, I thought, oh, I want to go last. And I thought, no, I want to go first. And I thought, (laughs) actually, I'll just let Jim choose. I'm not being deliberately contrary, because I know last last episode was pick on graham episode but i don't have one and i when i left on my first trip i knew i was going to kazakhstan mongolia i looked at satellite phones i looked at the price and i decided it wasn't going to be in my budget and when i used to sit on the train to london which is only an hour away my phone would lose reception and and where everyone else was talking, I'd get something that said voicemail because my phone never had bloody reception. When I was out in the middle of the Kazakhstan steppe and looking around 360 degrees with no sign of human inhabitation, I had three bars of reception on my phone. Same in Mongolia, same in Siberia, same in Iraq, same in a wild wood in Azerbaijan. I have very rarely been without phone reception. And 
like Grant just said, I think if you're normally on some kind of road, and the reason it's a road is because people use it. And okay, I've never been unconscious or so badly injured that I couldn't move, but I just don't really feel the need for one, or I haven't ever felt the need for one. It's not to say I will but in the future, but I haven't felt the need for one. Yeah, but we talked about insurance before, and, and I believe you chimed in as well about saying, and, and I, by the way, I thought every episode was pick on Graham, but anyway, um, and, and you said that, you know, like, I know it was said, let me just say that, that if you couldn't afford insurance, you couldn't afford to travel. So isn't this a form of insurance that like, isn't this one of those pieces of technology that because it's there, it, it almost compels you to take it with you? I no. think the salespeople on your episode almost compelled you to take it with you. I don't agree. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, as Graham says, a lot of times you can get cell reception. Now, having said that, we're in Canada, and there's lots of places in Canada where there's no cell reception. And you look at a map of where there is cell reception, and it's the minority of British Columbia alone yeah. that actually has cell reception at yeah, all. Definitely. So there are places I can go trail riding two or three hours from my house and there's no cell, there's nothing. In which case, yeah, if I was out riding alone, I would carry a, a spot for sure because an, there are places where you could be in a problem. Or another example is, here, here's one, there, there was a couple ATVers and I, and I mentioned on that episode that were lost and they're picking up their cell phone and they're calling out and they're saying they don't know where they are. You know, I think the whole thing, like, and I know that you're going to say, oh, you could get a GPS for your cell phone, all that sort of stuff. But the the very thing is, is this is at the, at the crux of it is it's an emergency tool where you don't have to think you're pressing the button and saying, you know, I'm in dire emergency. It could be life or death. I'm so glad you said, I don't have to think. And that's the real problem. Too often people don't think, um, Anybody that's in, involved in search and rescue will tell you that the number one problem they have is people who don't think, pay no attention to where they are, have no idea how to use a map, have no idea what a compass is, and they go off feast and they go into strange places they shouldn't be, and they're immediately in trouble. Hmm. Yeah, if you're that kind of person who's not paying attention to where you are and has no idea where you are, you can logically say, yep, I don't know where I am. I better call for help. Well, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be doing that. If you're a traveler and you want to get out and go places, you should be paying attention to your map and you should know where you are on your map and not just rely on your GPS to tell you. But between a map and a GPS, you ought to know where you are no matter what. And I don't think there's any excuse for not knowing where you are. That's, that's really, really poor planning. And, and yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's coming from people who are experienced. The problem, I think, is, is this is a double-edged sword with this sort of equipment is that it allows people who are inexperienced to head out there. And it doesn't matter whether it's the, the check-in device or whether it's your, your motorcycle that runs better and is more reliable. All these things are allowing people to head further into the wilderness. Tom Woodrow, uh, Adventure Bike TV, your input here. Um, you, do you see what I'm saying with the double-edged sword? I mean, it, it, it empowers people the, to go out, yet creates a problem in itself. I think, the, I think the worry I always have with these is that they are specifically there for when things go really bad. Now, things have gone pear-shaped for me on various travels in the past, and I have, I've managed to kind of work a way around it. And I think the only time I would ever really need something like a spot system would probably be at the point where I'm in no situation to find my spot thing and press the button. <laughs> um, yeah, there is that issue. Um, so if the, you're the unconscious, that's when you really go, need it. Exactly. I mean, the, that's that's. I think that's a real problem. I, I think. Um, I mean, it's very diff, 
different where where you are and where you are in different places in the world. Um, I mean, there's there's the Real Rider guys have come up with this great app that goes on your phone, and it can actually uh, it uses the accelerometers on your phone to know if you've had a heavy crash, mm-hmm. uh, and then it will automatically in in the UK this is um, alert the emergency services where they can contact you on your phone and if you then don't reply they know something's happened and they send out they send out uh, emergency vehicles without you having to be conscious um which again i think i think all of these things have their ups and downs um and i i agree that there is this double-edged kind of sword here um i think what grant was saying about um about having to know where you are I, I find it so frustrating that if you show a map to someone, they'll be able to show you exactly where you are on that map, but they won't then be able to over over a phone or over the radio be able to actually know how to give coordinates to someone else mm-hmm. so that someone else can find you. They're just going to go, well, I'm on this road in the middle of this forest here. Um, and I, I think it, it does allow you, it, it does allow people to have this kind of sense of, uh, since well I'm taking every precaution you know and if you've got if you've got the option to have that precaution it's better than not having it um, but again I, I I just I just feel the time you really need it you're you're probably not going to be able to use it and uh, because you're not going to get to it and you're really in the hands of whoever finds you in the road um, well well I, I tell you there there's I think the people from that sell these devices would probably argue heavily for the other side so I'm going to take that to be devil's advocate that side for a minute they will tell you of the umpteen rescues thousands really of rescues that they've done because people have found themselves in situations that got hurt. Now, one of them was an example where the uh, a, a guy and his grandfather went for a hike and his grandfather had some sort of health issues and he basically pressed this and, and, and got rescued by it. So in that case, that may have been a life saver right there. And that's an example of, you know, someone else there to press the button. But the other side of it that sort of brought to, it was brought to light through our research for that show was that search and rescue actually likes it in a lot of cases because they're not having to do as much searching. And let's face it, if a loved one is at home and phones up and says, hey, you know, um, my son, brother, sister, whatever is late, overdue, where are they? I don't know. They're in this area. They've all, all of a sudden got to get out and search. And, and I, I spent time in search and rescue. And I'll tell you that the amount of effort put into just a ground search alone, like a grid search, is incredible. I think I think that's why, as you say, because it's a it's a double edged sword. And I think I think that's what I'm saying. It's a massive advantage for those people that get into emergencies. And even if they've got a mobile phone, they don't have uh, the terminology to be able to explain exactly where they are properly because they're using just a standard GPS. And you know, so many people don't even realise how to kind of find your your exact coordinates on GPS and things like that. Um, and it, yes, I think, I think in terms of, as you say, the search and rescue guys, it makes things uh, much easier on them. Um, I think, I think the trouble is it always comes down to this, this kind of personal, this personal kind of feeling. I mean, the, the, the downside that we, we had on this trip, the trip that we used a tracker and I can't remember what brand it was, as I said, but it stopped working after a few days of the trip. And of course, people that are following us are then quite worried about where we are because we've, they've seen that suddenly the trackers have stopped working. 
Yeah, that's, um, that's a valid point. I was, was going to say, surely, now you used it for check-in when you were just on your last trip, which was quite a long trip. Um, is that all you did with it? Did you ever carry it as as your safety device, like sort of knowing, oh, wow, we've got our tracking system here. If anything goes wrong, we can press the button? Oh, certainly that was in, in my mind. I don't know that it was in Brian's, but I thought it was a good thing to have just in case something went horribly wrong. Um, I get I get Graham and Grant's points that you know you're on a road there will always be someone come past but if you're really seriously injured um, I think I'd rather someone come looking for me with medical knowledge rather than someone with a donkey who's going to probably make my injuries worse transporting me to a to a place with no fresh running water you know I, it just to me it's it is like travel insurance I don't think it's necessary that you have one um, we took it, as I said before, primarily to keep in touch with our kids, just to let them know that we were okay. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to have it. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely not against having one. I think you just have to be very careful when you actually use it, because you may find that the, the bill to rescue you is more than the ride on the donkey's worth to you. You have to make your own judgment there and where you are and, and how serious your injury is. I mean, if you've just got an injury where you can't quite ride but you could sit there and wait all day and you'd be fine then don't push the button but if you well, know you're that, in serious conditions then okay push it i think that's a no-brainer though isn't it grant i mean you you'd would be amazed how many people well like yeah. jim was saying about these atv guys the atv was overturned and they pushed the button come on yeah, <laughs> yeah like thinking it's a tow service or something yeah it, that, that's crazy yeah, it, it comes down to educating the user, doesn't it? I mean, sure. and worse than that, Grant, is is in that case, the rescue is free. I mean, it's one thing to consider you're in another place where the rescue might cost you $50,000. In Canada, the, the rescue is free. In a lot of countries, the rescue is free. So the, the resources that are put into to play here and mm-hmm. spent going out for your false call because, you know, you, uh, you got a flat tire on your ATV and you have no other, you know, means to get out or you got stuck in the mud, which is another one, which I thought was really pathetic. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because this has been a long standing debate in Canada for sure. I know as far as the outdoors community goes is what becomes a stupid thing? Like, like traveling on a motorcycle by yourself into the mountains, is it a stupid thing or are you experienced and then it's no longer a stupid thing? And, and I'm looking at this from a rescue perspective. Mm-hmm. Certainly in Australia, the number of people who go into the outback completely ill-equipped um, with no idea of how to look after themselves if they have a breakdown in the extreme heats that we get in the outback, it's scary. And there, we were going across the Simpson Desert in a four-wheel drive and there was a guy on a motorbike trying to find someone who he could travel with because the ranger wouldn't let him go across on his own. He had no spare fuel and only five litres of water and he was going to go across <laughs> the French line of the Simpson Desert. You know, yeah, right. That's big as belief, how he could get up and put his shoes on in the morning if he was so stupid. Yeah, but that's the problem. You have people that just don't have a clue. Mostly, oh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call them necessarily stupid. They just don't understand. They're ignorant rather than stupid, and, and there's a real problem. That's what I was going to say. And, and really, can you blame someone for not knowing what they don't know? Yeah, it's hard, but somewhere along the line, you have to draw a line and say, nope, that was just plain stupid. Don't but do that. Isn't, that. isn't that part of traveling anywhere in any form of transport is doing a bit of research to find out what you're what you're heading into rather than going in blind? You would hope. It's the most fun bit of the prep. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. I mean, I personally, I, I've been spent a lot of time in Australia. I lived there for years. 
but I've, I've looked at the map and I've driven through the outback and I look off to the side and say, you know, I've, I'm new to Australia. I look at that and I think, oh dear, if I headed down that little road, where does it go and how far is it going to go and do I have enough facilities? And I'm thinking, can I get myself through to the other side? Uh-oh, where is the other side? How far is it? Do I have enough? And I'm thinking all that before I even make that turn off to the road. But entirely too many people just look. Oh, that looks interesting. And off they go. Mm. And they don't have to go very far in a vehicle to be broken down so badly that you can't walk out. That's right. Mm. You know, to Graham's point about the the cell service, I know here, at least in Canada, there's so many places where you can even have cell service, you know, three, four bars sort of thing. But if you were to go off the road at at any of our our logging roads and whatnot, if you were to go off the road and end up down the embankment, (laughs) an embankment might be, you know, 200 feet sort of thing in the bush, there's a very good, very real possibility that you will never get cell service there. So yeah. if you're pinned under your bike, it's just as simple as that, pinned under your bike, um, you're, that's it, you're done. And the chance of somebody coming along at that point, forget it. Nobody's going to ever look off the side. Yeah, I, I've been in that situation. I've actually been pinned under a bike and unable to get it off me. And if I hadn't had somebody with me, I'd still be there. Um, so that I know that. And there's a major road that we go through on our way to Nacusp, from Vernon to uh, Nacusp in British Columbia, where cell phone service... It's about half the road has cell phone, the other half, nope, nothing. And that's a major road. Mm. Same as here when you leave Campbell River and head north. Uh, the entire section of the north of Vancouver Island, you're out of cell service until you get way up the end with Port McNeil and Port Hardy. Yeah. Well, where Brian spent the night last night up in the, not at um, not at his, search, his um, location search, but at another town, there's no m- mobile service up there at all. Yeah, so there's lots of places where, I mean, in Europe, yeah, there's connections. And I understand now that there's good connections in Iran and Kazakhstan, but there's a lot of parts of the world where there's nothing. Yeah, Graham, you're being awfully quiet here. I think you're just shying away from the mic. Well, no, the thing I, I, I've got to put in the picture here, in the last two and a half days, I've driven 3,000 kilometers to Munich in southern Germany and back to go and pick up a motorbike. And I've been considering along the drive all the subjects that we're going to talk about with absolutely nobody to interrupt me. So I've had these strong, opinionated <laughs> things that I was going to say. Oh, hang on, hang here. on, just hold it there. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, and I'm sitting here listening to everybody else, and I'm thinking, yeah, I guess they got a point. They got a point. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you had no one to bounce off your ideas to, to crush them for you. No, no, so they're being crushed. I, I, I sort of stand by what I, I said, but at the same time, I see there are, there are instances where you might want to have them, but, but I still won't have one. But Okay, so let me ask you that. Let me just, uh, this is pick on gram time. Why wouldn't you have one? I'm curious. <laughs> okay, several reasons. Firstly, as a writer, the worse it gets, the better it becomes. So the more of an adventure you've got, the better. <laughs> Secondly, I probably... My life is a bit cheap to me. Perhaps I don't hold it in as high regard as other people. So if I do die with vultures pecking my eyes out in a desert where no one's seen me, um, okay, I'll need a ghostwriter for that one. But uh, I still, it doesn't, you know, I'm looking at the screen now. It says Adventure Rider Radio. We've got Tom, Adventure Bike TV. Everywhere you look is adventure. Are we not taking the adventure out of it with our spot trackers and our GPSs and our cell phones and everything? You know, what's the definition of adventure? I I think if you've got everything catered for, you're just going out for a ride, aren't you? 
I, I totally agree with that, but I, I know there's that analogy. It's often, uh, like when I think back to canoeing, a lot of people, or some people, I should say, really like the old gear. They'll use the canvas tents and they'll use all the old heavy stuff because they sort of think of that as being classic. But the fact of the matter is, there's modern stuff that is a lot better than that. And back in the day when, when that was taken, those, those canvas things, that was the modern stuff, you know? So it, so it makes you wonder if, if by ignoring some of these safety things, and I, and I can go back to the insurance thing and say the same thing, if you're not being somewhat negligent, dare I use that word, what about your mom? That's um, always the problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, mother's a problem. <laughs> but, no, I wasn't saying your mom's a problem. <laughs> what I'm saying is... Mums generally are a problem. <laughs> what about for the peace of mind for your mum? Yes, but you're playing the guilt card, Jim. Yeah, hey, I am. Um, yeah, this could happen on the M25, Europe's busiest motorway, 45 minutes from where she lives. And, and the difference would be she'd get a call from the police instead of a thing from a spot tracker. I don't – she knows I ride a bike. I've always ridden a bike. She's really good about it. She always encourages me. She never puts me on a guilt trip. And maybe she's – you know, a bit like me, ready for the news that Lemmy was dead. Maybe she's ready for that call to say, oh, your son died, but he had his boots on. He, he loved what he was doing, you know. Don't play the guilt trip on me, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> can I just can I just say something, you know, all you blokes with all your testosterone surging around, um, it is, for me, comforting to know that if something did go terribly wrong, which we've never had a, a really serious accident at all on any of our travels, um, there was the opportunity, if needed, to press a button and have a grown-up come looking for us. But, um, you know, Brian's sons are in their 30s and they have children of their own, but they do worry about their old man and their crazy stepmom. And they, when we, when we head off on these things, it's not about not being adventurous, it's about not being foolhardy. And it took no time at the end of the day for us to press one button and they got an email saying... They're okay, and this is their GPS location. And everyone was calm about us going overseas for six months. It was no drama, and I can't see why it becomes... It doesn't take the adventure out of the trip. Knowing that someone can come looking for us doesn't mean the trip is any less adventurous. No, because you could say the, the cell phone is the same thing, if not worse. Correct. Yeah, they can ring most- you on the cell phone. Our kids couldn't contact us on the on the spot. They just knew where we were at the end of the day. Yeah. And these days with cell connections, most everywhere, uh, general connections and communicating isn't that big a deal. When we headed off in 87 in the first place, we basically said, well, when we get to a major city, we will try and phone. And sometimes that was really difficult, you know, serious large cities. um, Well, there might be a connection over there and it might work or it might not today. We're not sure. And this is places like Mexico. It's not that hard. But uh, that was just part of the way it was. There was no connection. But today, it's a lot easier. So I don't think it's a problem. I would, I would personally carry a spot if I was heading off to some other continent for sure. Tom Woodrow, Adventure Bike TV. Um, <laughs> w- w- where's your input there? I mean, I, I think I can definitely see the advantages. I mean, I've got, um, I've got a, quite a young family, seven- and four-year-old um and when i go off on trips um 
luckily, I mean, even when we've been through Africa in the middle of Sahara Desert, you somehow get phone reception, which is fantastic. Um, you know, but <clears throat> I we I simply kind of go with the rule of no news is good news, and I think it's <laughs> my my worry is it's far more likely that I will forget to press the little button that tells to tell everyone I'm okay and then make them panic because I've forgotten to press this button or I left it somewhere or I've, you know, I, cause I'm quite rubbish at stuff like that. I lose, I lose a lot of things. Um, but then I think, I think there, there is a whole nother side to this. That's, that's away from the safety aspect. And it's, it's about, um, it's about, so many people these days that do these trips have a lot of followers and write these blogs and they make films and their 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 adventures are very rarely now a per, a completely personal thing. Uh, you tend to have supporters. You've got people waiting for blogs and things like that. And actually, I think in terms of a social media tool, which whether you think social media is a good thing for adventure or not, you can't deny it's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of having, you know, because you can easily set this stuff up on your personal website so that all your followers can keep a track of where you are and what you're doing on your adventure. I think in, for for that kind of stuff, actually, it's it's far more appealing to me because of that feature than it is the safety aspect, if I'm honest. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Is it? That, that's true. We, we didn't talk about that. And it's an excellent point because, Graham, I'll bet your followers would be interested in following you. And as a matter of fact, I sort of think you're doing something similar on an upcoming trip, or if not right now. Well, yeah, yeah, hypocrite that I am. There's <laughs> that that uh, thing that I was talking about at the last show, that uh, my adventure logger, I, I used it for the first time when I left the UK to to uh, come down to Bulgaria as a test, really. But, well, I mean, that's why I was given it. And it uh, I must admit, I, it became obsessive to try and get a Wi-Fi connection whenever I could. So I could download the information from the logger into my phone <laughs> and then to the website. And as much for myself to say, oh, look how far I've gone. And because I'm, I'm not, I'm quite obsessive about distances and times. I don't have to write anything down anymore. It's all logged. Um, and then, of course, the, luckily, one of the icons you can put on is uh, mechanical failure. So when the engine seized in Hungary, I had the appropriate icon to put on it. But no, it's, uh, it is, uh, it, it, yes, people do follow you and, and want to know, I suppose. And I, I think, as, and as a solo traveler, I can justify anything. I think that's a happy medium because, and this is the point I was making in the last show, is that without spending a whole bunch of time in front of a screen, updating blogs, websites, Facebook, whatever, that logger is logging everything, hence its name. And all you've got to do is, while you're eating your dinner with some Wi-Fi, is upload all that information so people, if they want to see it, can see it. If they don't, it passes them by. So it was the ideal compromise for me. And with your system, you could also put pictures in. I saw a picture of, a, I don't know, bratwurst sausage and, and, and sauerkraut or something you're eating at one spot logged into the map. So you click on it and it shows you what you ate. Yeah, there was more interesting ones than that, Jim. Thanks for picking the dullest <laughs> really, one. Really, that's all more. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you must have been watching it when you were hungry. No, it, all the photos go from my phone to Flickr, and then the ones I choose to make public, it puts the location and the time of the phone within the context of the trip. So, And also, in my defense, it was brand new to me, and I was experimenting, so that's why I took a photo of my Brockwest. <laughs> <laughs> it looked good, there's no doubt. It makes me hungry just thinking about it. It's stuck but in your so, memory. <laughs> so, the, so the social aspect of it, uh, Tom says, I mean, it's, there, there's huge possibilities there. Yeah, there's lots you can do that's positive, but one thing to keep in mind, and we had this uh, issue with people traveling through the Middle East and North Africa a few years ago when there was a lot of trouble going on. Uh, People were doing tracking and posting where they were and stuff, and there were some concerns that certain people that shouldn't be keeping track were keeping track, and the thought was, if everybody knows where I am at any moment the wrong person could know where I am at any moment and I could be in a lot of trouble. That's a really good point, Grant. Um, On this tracker thing, when my bike died, I had to leave it at a a fuel station for 24 hours while I was waiting for help and you could see the exact location of where my bike was. And it was Uh, broken down and you weren't there. And Hmm. I wasn't there. However, there is, I've I've found out since, a little thing on there which says within one kilometer. So if you don't want to use it as a spot tracker or or whatever, it will show your position within a kilometer. So it won't be exactly pinpointed. Unless you're on a motorway. If you're on a motorway and your bike is on within a kilometer of that motorway and there's nothing but forest around, it's not going to be too hard to figure out where it is. Yeah, but no, let's face it, with true. social media, you're putting other things up there. I mean, you know, Tom's saying about using it for, for tracking, showing where you are, but you're also posting other things. You're, you know, I ate here, I'm going there, I'm staying there. I mean, let's face it, a kilometer, that's really narrowing it down. Oh, yes. Um, I personally think that there should be a delay by two days on everything I do, everything I post on all my tracks so that nobody can figure out where you are now. Yeah, I, and, I think that's but, an excellent point. But if you're that worried about being or something terrible happening with these people tracking where you are, should you really be there? Well, there, there is some of that, but there are some places where you might want to go. Um, parts of Pakistan, for instance, where you have to be escorted. Maybe you don't want to be tracked in that area, but you've got an escort to get you through anyway, so it's, it's relatively safe. Yeah, but, we've um, done that road. How far do you want to push it? Yeah, exactly. Um, would you want to be tracked escort. on that road? Hmm. We were pretty obvious. I mean, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of traffic. There was camels and four motorbikes on that road. If anyone looking for us could have found us without too much trouble. But to yeah. be fair, all these systems. I mean, I mean, everyone that I've heard of has a shut off. You know, even Graham saying his, he found that there was a shut off for it. Or no, you said it within one kilometer. But there must be a way to shut it off as well. Um, with the the ones that you have in your hand, you just can choose to track or not to track. It's, it's up to you. So I mean, that's probably something that's pretty easy to handle if, as long as you're conscious of it and you know aware of what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's the the important point is people have to have that in mind and do I want to be tracked here and for where I'm going at the moment. I think it's – I raise it because I think it's important that people keep it in mind. There there may be times when you don't want to be tracked and maybe that's something to keep keep remembering. I think on the the flip side of that, there's quite a lot of people who have talked about great experiences because, you know – only one in a hundred people that maybe follow where you are might be doing it for some kind of hideous, sinister reason. Uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of people that are following you because they're generally interested. And, and actually, them seeing where you are can be a great thing for, for meeting meeting people. 
Now people are saying, oh, well, if you know, they'll they'll message you saying, oh, I've seen your kind of here on your trip. Uh, we had something similar uh, when Graham was updating because obviously our tracker had stopped working. Graham was updating his blog, and someone saw that we were near uh, Dakla in um, Western Sahara, and they said, uh, oh, when you get down here, come stay with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've followed you, and we went and we meet met these great people who took us out into the um, to to play with the bikes in some sand dunes, and then when we promptly broke the bikes in the sand dunes, helped us fix them, and, and we, met, uh, we met a load of people that we would have never met because because on the same vein, they, they knew where we were and they knew we were close at that point in time. Yep, I think there's a lot of connections that can be done that are really good that way. So if you're traveling in someplace that you feel relatively comfortable letting people know that you are there and that you are coming and there and you will meet people along the way for sure i think that's great so to wrap things up let's just do a round we'll get everybody's input here just yay or nay yes or no on on would you would you recommend a tracker starting with you shirley uh yeah i would graham not in anything i've experienced up to date but when i'm laying dying yes <laughs> I like that little caveat. Grant? Yeah, I'd go for it. Tom? Yes, but probably not for the same reasons as everyone else. <laughs> More for social media. <laughs> You're so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would have to say yes. And, and of course, like what we already said, I think it's all about you know people educating themselves about what is an emergency. But um, I think we've rode that one. And, and now let's go into the second thing that we're going to talk about was riding the world in two weeks, the, the mini adventure. So, um, Graham, why don't you talk about this to begin with? Well... This is very location orientated as, as opposed to, you know, where your, lo- where your home location is. It's, it, so it's a very difficult question to answer. There are, uh, you know, if you're in the States, for example, or, or Canada, then sort of this was the same bang for your buck question, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Uh, I guess it was in there. Yeah. I mean, we, we were okay. talking about, yeah. So if you so obviously you're going to go south, you're going to go to Mexico. Sorry, um, Graham. No, it's not. No, the the bang for your buck thing we were talking about the best destination for the money. So what wh- which one uh, was oh, okay. the best for your value money? This we're talking about the like, traveling the world in those two week stints. Those people who are who are storing their bikes like your like yourself. Um, okay, and, you'll and, fix that in the edit, won't you, Jim? No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um. Right, so I've got to go first and make a fall at myself again. Okay, um, so again, I still it's still um, location orientated, I think, um, because it, it depends on where you are. There's so many variables to this question on whether you want to ship your bike and meet it somewhere where you start from with it and and that. So I, I think you have to be a bit more specific with your question, Jim. Well, it's it's probably well. I mean, it's not really a question. It's just the topic. But I mean, let, let's first look at the concept of what it is, and I'll put it over to Grant to just explain the concept of what some people are doing with this. Oh, okay. Putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> we see this problem a lot. Uh, a lot of people think of Horizons Unlimited as being the, I've got to go for a around the world tour in order to be on the website. Well, we're very big fans of saying, well, you've only got two weeks vacation and you've got a wife and you've got three kids and you've got a job and you've got two weeks vacation. So what are you going to do? Well, you can still keep the travel fires alive by getting on an airplane and flying to Thailand or wherever you want, whatever strikes your fancy. Um, I remember a couple that flew from Canada to Thailand, 
spent two weeks riding around Thailand, rented bikes, the whole thing, came back, and their total cost was 1200 bucks wow. for a two-week vacation in another foreign country. A motorcycle vacation. A motorcycle vacation, yeah. yeah. They didn't ship their bikes. They didn't do anything fancy. They just got on an airplane, took their helmets and a jacket, and that was it. And away they went, and they had a fantastic time. They raved about it. They did a presentation. They loved it. They thought it was amazing. And there was a whole lot of people in the audience that are going, oh, what a good idea. You mean I don't have to have a brand new 1200 GS with $5,000 worth of gadgets and farkles on it, and I don't have to ship it by air and deal with all of that, and I don't have to go for a year. I can go for two weeks. Well, you know? and that's that's why I, I went to do that, <laughs> and that's why I went to Graham because I, I was saying about like storing your vehicle somewhere. Because another approach is to basically do uh, a big trip in those tiny little chunks, right? That that's what I was sort of referring to to Graham about. Yeah, you can do that too. We see that a lot. A lot of people have bikes in South America, for instance. The Europeans typically get six weeks vacation, and there's a number of places in South America where you can leave your bike until next year. And you park it, you ride it for six weeks, you go home, you do some work, you come back, you ride it for six weeks, go home. Um, lots of people do that. I know people who have three bikes, one in South Africa, one in South America, and another one in Europe or North America. And it's kind of a, where do you want to go this year for vacation, dear? And they fly off to their other bike or one of their other bikes. So there, are there any, I know you were, you were uh, Graham, you were talking about, um, is this the same as bang for the buck? And I guess I, I see what you're saying now, and I think you're, you're partly right. We could be joining the two together somewhat by saying that some places are less expensive, like Grant's uh, um, suggestion right there, or, or example right there. Um, but what about, what about the, some things you can do in those two weeks um, that makes it more of a grand adventure. It makes it bigger than what the, the two weeks really allows for. Is that me? Yeah. Oh, um, right. Um, well, I think that the thing that, that Grant always says is, is less, less is more. Whatever you've to, you, people have grand plans to try and fit so much into their, however long or short their trip is try and fit so much in. And, I think to be able to adapt your itinerary and, and just, I mean, let's say, for example, you've gone to Thailand and rented a 125. Then I think rather than going all the way from the Malaysian border up to the, to the uh, Golden Triangle or something, just to take the time to stop and, uh, and, 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 and see what's around you rather than checking off boxes. I know, I know it's cliche and we seem to keep going back to this, but as far as, sort of what you see it's the it's the little things it's the human contact it's the sitting with a local family who have invited you for a meal which are the memories that stick with you as opposed to ticking off the reclining buddha and the golden temple and all the different other things which are on the on the sort of guidebook itinerary yeah, I mean, you often talk about slowing down, doing just that, do, uh, getting rid of the distance. And it's funny because we just talked about distance and you said you're obsessed with it. I think everybody is. And, and like I said before, as you, you post that you've, you've done, you know, 500 kilometers on your, your, your two-week trip, people are going to go, oh, well, that's, that's not really that much. You know, it's not much of an adventure. Tom, uh, have you ever done anything like this on Adventure Bike TV? I mean, well, I can talk about this for literally hours. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> Because um, some of the first big stuff I worked on, the first TV series I worked on, uh, was one of Graham, Graham Hoskins' concepts, which is 
his his TV series that he's done, uh, he started doing them with Danny John Jules. Uh, for those of you that aren't UK based, he's a, a UK television actor um, in some quite famous things like Red Dwarf and stuff like that. Um, now, this series that he did was specifically aimed at highlighting what people can do in two weeks and realizing that there are lots of people who desperately want to do some adventure some adventures on their motorbikes and so you hear so many people go oh i've got i've only got two weeks off left uh, off work so how about some of us go pot around france and if we can get down into spain and maybe a bit of portugal and it's kind of this kind of thing of going right well actually you can do huge amounts in two weeks and in the first in the first series they circumnavigated the med so they went from the uk all the way down, all the way around the Med. It's a trip you can't do anymore, kind of through Syria and Egypt and things like that. Um, and then all the way back to the UK in two weeks. The second one was right from England down to uh, Dakar, actually right down into Gambia and then back up into Dakar in two weeks. Um, the third one was we circumnavigated the Baltic, so we went right up to Nordcap and then back down through Lithuania, Latvia, uh, kind of Poland uh, and back around that way. And uh, and it's this kind of point that so many people don't realise what you can actually fit in two weeks. Now, there's kind of kind of benefits and dis- well, advantages and disadvantages to what Graham does because Graham's are very much a, uh, a a kind of endurance trial. They, you know, I mean, it's you know the the when they circuit the first series I didn't do with them. They didn't take a cameraman. Um, but when they circumnavigated the Med, they literally they didn't see very much at all. They stopped at the pyramids very quickly, and that was about it. Um, because they were trying to get this kind of huge amount of mileage done. However, they were using it far more as a example, just to say, did you realise this kind of stuff is possible in two weeks? You know, it, you can drive to Moscow and back. In I think Graham's done it in a long weekend to to Moscow and back. If you've got two weeks. So, you know, there's plenty of time to get from the UK over to Russia, you know, where the world seems completely different and then come all the way back in two weeks. And I think it's I, I think it's really key that these these I guess it also, you know, this comes into the argument as Grant would kind of touched on as what's an adventure. And certainly when I first got into the adventure kind of motorcycle world, um I think one of the best things about Hub is that it's it, it's kind of changed in the way it's worked because when I first heard of the Hub and the first ever Hub meeting I went to, it felt very much like, oh, well, what adventures have you done? Oh, well, I haven't really done any at this point. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I've I've done two years around Africa and then I went into China and da-da-da-da-da. So I'm not really allowed to talk to you. <laughs> but I think I think that's one thing, especially in the UK. Um, something that Sam Manicum, shame he's not on the call, really um, worked really hard to kind of kind of turn around and make it make it something. Uh, when you went to the hub uh, meeting in the UK, it became much more friendly for those people that wanted just to soak up. Maybe couldn't even go on adventures at all, but they just wanted to soak that kind of feeling up. And I think, you know, there is this kind of question, what constitutes an adventure? And I, I, I think, you know, for me, I would go, I would call, you know, two day, two nights away going off, you know, through the Brecon Beacons up to kind of North Wales, doing a bit of sneaky wild camping and then 
riding back. It's only three, you know, two nights away, but it's still an adventure. Um, you know, I was just going to say, without like without trying to to redefine adventure again, we've we've done that quite a bit on here, and we find <laughs> yeah. ourselves into it. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, but you just what you're saying there just brought up another thought that sort of flies in the face of, of I think what a lot of us think is distance a problem? Like we're saying, slow down. Um, you know, Graham's saying, you know, go go slower and and travel less distance and experience more. Well, but it got me thinking. Wait a second. Isn't the person that wants to drive the big distances, isn't it, the distances that the uh, that it, like in the two weeks, you know, to travel the thousands of kilometers as far as you could possibly go by riding, riding, riding? Isn't that a different kind of adventure? Don't you experience something a little bit different? Isn't that valid to be an adventure? Absolutely. I don't think yeah, that, I think sure. we have a lot of people that want to do the big miles and that's okay and we have a lot of people that want to experience and it's a very different thing. I mean, coming for me coming from the I'm a motorcyclist and racer and everything else, uh, getting on the bike and just putting in some big miles just cuz I want to ride, that's a legitimate adventure and it's a legitimate trip and it's perfectly fine. Just as I've gotten older, I've decided that you know, a little slower, a little more experience along the way and spending time is a different different kind of trip and I'm enjoying it more now rather than just ride and ride and ride and ride and ride and ride. I've done that. I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, I think when we when we try and define anything, I mean, even when we're defining adventure, which I do like to do, <laughs> but I mean, when we're defining anything, we're, we're limiting, aren't we? We're, like if we're saying, hey, to do an adventure, you've got to go slow and you've got to experience the culture. Well, you know, uh, Nick Sanders may, may not feel that way. You know, his adventure is something completely different than somebody who's into uh, experiencing the cultures. Yeah, I hesitate to use the word adventure. I think it's all getting out and doing what you want to do and what feels good for you and what is fun for you whether it's an adventure or not i really don't care just are are you enjoying what you're doing and is it what you want to do and are you getting at the end of it satisfied are you you feel that that was i did what i wanted to do and that was great that's fine if you've got that feeling good Surely, do you guys go off on on two week adventures, short little adventures like that i mean i know you have sort of open time for yourself right now but do you do you do those small ones we do um uh, last year we went to Vietnam for two weeks. We flew to Hanoi and hired a, a bike with some friends and rode up to the Chinese border and back. It was great. We had a really good time. And with the vastness of distance in our country, sometimes you have to do really long days to get somewhere to see something or to meet people, you know, because there is just so much nothing in Australia. So we we can do both. We can do long days or short trips. Um, but the little short adventures, the only drawback with Australia is it's going to cost you so much to get to anywhere to have your little short adventure. So Australians, when they go overseas, tend to stay for a while purely to make get value out of the ridiculously expensive airfares we have to pay. Grandma, I'm curious how you feel about what I just said uh, about um, doing longer trips and could that not be uh, you know a different kind of adventure? Um, well, no, what I was going to say, and also when Shirley just said, when she said they went to Hanoi, and I, and I anticipate she was going to say, and rode to, uh, and rode to Saigon, and, as, and just went up to the Chinese border, brilliant, to, to do, to have two weeks and, and do a relatively sort of short trip like that. And also when I, I quite often, if I'm at a bike show, people say, oh, a, we're leaving tonight, and we're going to camp on Dartmoor or something. In the same breath, they've said, oh, it's nothing compared to what you do. It's like, you have got your panniers packed and you're going to be camping out this weekend. So you've beaten me because I'm not doing that. So 
and it's it's like uh, like Grant says, it's not necessarily what you call an adventure, whatever we call an adventure, but the fact is you're out there independent with your panniers on your bike and you're staying away for a few days. And I think that's really what it's about, isn't it? Absolutely. So, yeah, yep. totally agree with that. So talking about bang for the buck, best destination for the money, and I'm curious about this one because this is completely out of my realm and, and more into everyone else that's on the show right now. Um, how about let's look at some. Are there some really great destinations? And I know, Grant, you gave an example that would fit into this a little earlier. Are there, are there some great destinations that are amazing bang for the buck? South Africa. If you can get there. It's the getting there that's the catch. It's expensive. But once you're there... You, um, amazing meals in a really nice restaurant, $6 for a full-on carvery and a bottle, glass of wine and the whole thing. It's just absolutely amazing prices. And in most of these places, bike rentals are going to be available, right? I mean, you're, you're going oh, yeah. to be able to find a bike somewhere. There's always a bike. Somebody will always rent you something. There's more rental companies out there now than I can imagine. It's just absolutely unbelievable how many there are. Tom, any come to mind for you? Um. It's, it, I mean, for me, it, it's difficult because I haven't, although I've done various little adventures, you know, I've been kind of limited to kind of Europe, Africa. I've done a kind of kind of bit of a trip in trip in India. Um, I mean, it again, it's very different because it's it's not always, you know, it depends on where you are to start with. So, for instance, you know, I I adore Canada. You know, and I would like to ride in Canada, but it's been what twelve years since I was last there. So I don't really know. Haven't really looked into what the prices are there, but it doesn't change the fact that getting there in the first place is hugely expensive. I know that Nathan's just come back from doing a tour in the U.S., and it worked out cheaper to have his bike shipped out there and shipped back than hiring a bike for three weeks because the hiring of a bike out there is so expensive. I mean, for me, I think that. Uh, again africa for me was 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 great i really enjoyed it but it wasn't spectacular i think i i'm i'm a big fan of kind of mountain vistas and stuff like that uh and i know that you can get some great kind of value uh in you know things cost very very little out in africa i think for me nepal was nepal was fantastic um i think right you know getting on a uh, Royal Enfield, uh, they're not terribly expensive to hire out there. The flights, flights from here aren't hugely expensive, not compared to getting out to kind of Canada or the US. Um, but just, just it, it, the vistas you get there and the riding you get there is properly spectacular, and it, it's not, not over the top expensive either. Yeah, I remember a teacher in the UK who said for his summer vacation, it was cheaper for him to fly to India and rent or buy an Enfield or whatever, ride around for his three months vacation than it was to sit in his flat in London and do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. (laughs) Shirley, do you have any? Oh, sorry. Um, Well, certainly um, Vietnam... Um, is really, really good value for money, amazing scenery and incredibly friendly people. You just have to deal with the dog meat thing, which is really hard for me. But um, apart from that, we really love Vietnam. 
But for um, another place that, or two countries that we just love and were very, very good price is um, Argentina and Chile. They were fantastic, great scenery, wonderful motorcycle riding, really good food and wine, fabulous people and not very expensive, certainly not expensive on Australian standards. And of course, all this is, there's always the expense of getting there. The only That's thing that the I, problem. Yeah, it is. And, and the, what I was going to say is the point I was going to make is you might want to look local. You know, if you if you're if you want to do something, and you don't want to blow the the full bank account. You might want to look local because I think a lot of times we have stuff in our backyard, so to speak, that um, probably doesn't you know doesn't get the same respect as, as what everything else that it's, that's exotic does. I'll give you an example because Tom just mentioned about how he loves to come and ride in Canada. But granted, I being in Canada, we ride here all the time. So you tend to when we think of a of a big exotic trip, likely we're thinking you know somewhere else instead of our own backyard. So like you're. <laughs> exactly. So, so I mean, I think it's worthwhile to turn and look in your backyard and say, well, really, what is within my riding distance in, in a, whatever particular time? And really, what's there? You know, dig in a little bit. Yeah, I always come back with the, the corollary to that, though, is you can, I mean, we have people say, well, why, when we left on our trip, uh, our mothers both said, well, why, you haven't seen Canada yet, and, or, and you haven't been all over the U.S. yet. Why don't you do here first? Well, Mom, when I'm 80... I can ride around Canada in a motorhome if I have to, but I'm not going to do Southern Africa or Kenya or Tanzania or even Uruguay or Bolivia when I'm 80. I might. I mean, there are people, Simon Simon Gandolfi rode to the top of the Himalayas at 80 years old, so I might, but I'm certainly going to be able to see my home country in a motorhome when I'm 80. It's kind of our old phrase. Graham, yeah, do you have any? We use the same line, Grant, because people are always saying to us, but 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 you haven't been here in Australia, you haven't been there. Yeah, but you can always do that later. It's yeah, not exactly. that, that for most of us that live in modern Western countries, it's easy to do your own country. It's not gonna change much. There's no difficulty. You have no insur- no insurance medical issues. For instance, if when you hit 65, you fly out of your own country, you may have medical issues. If you've had um, ongoing medical issues, you may have even more problems getting medical insurance. So maybe leaving your own country when you're older is going to be hard. So the sooner you do it, the better. Now, that's good practical advice. But there's also the thing of, I mean, usually you're looking for a change, right? You want to get out and do something completely different. Absolutely. Yeah. Get out and get out and go. And and what we always find people have a hard time realizing is that you can just go for two weeks, get on an airplane, take your helmet, fly somewhere, rent a bike locally and ride. Just get out and well, do I something. Think I think it's fair to say, you know, if if budget doesn't allow those flights, I think it's it's totally, I mean, it's something I wrote down when I was writing notes for this. I, I, I think I think you're right, Jim. I think it's it's totally valid to to look in your own backyard because let's be honest there's nothing better value than not having to fly somewhere <laughs> for sure yeah, if you don't have to fly somewhere it's going to be cheaper <laughs> yeah although it depends on what country you're in i remember buying dinner in australia was like starts at 25 dollars just for, for supper for one whereas i could go to vietnam and have supper for two for about three dollars Hmm. That starts to offset the cost of things like flights pretty quickly, especially if you can get a really cheap flight. And and if you're spending a length of time, it'll definitely make a huge difference. Yep. It adds up fast. Graham? Uh, Well, yeah, cheap countries. I moved to one. It's 
Bulgaria, I mean, from the UK, 1,600 miles, and having just literally come back from Western Europe, where everything, when I go into a motorway services and it's €2.50 for a half a litre of water, to come back to Bulgaria is such a relief. Everything is inexpensive, the fuel, the food, the uh, the alcohol. Uh, but it's just a, a, your money goes so much further here. And and it, it's, that's not the sole reason for living here. I mean, I, I go to the supermarket, I'm looking at snow-capped mountains uh, in the distance, and it's it's a beautiful country. So as bang for the buck, uh, Bulgaria, is, well, it's not such a well-kept secret since I keep going on about it, but it's a beautiful country, and it's um, it's so, such good value. The, the money goes so far here. And, um, yeah, I, and, and, and I was at an airport last autumn, and they had a display in the airport, all these photographs of various places around the country. And uh, I was taking photos on my phone, not because I wanted to get pictures of, of, the, of the actual photographs, but I need to remember the name of this place and this place and this place because it's so diverse. There's so much here. And, uh, well, spring seems to have started, and uh, pretty soon it's time to jump on the bike and discover your own backyard. It just so happens that I moved to a different backyard. That's another way to do it. You could move to a completely different country. I mean, you've, you've got an idea there. Don't worry, it's in the back of our minds. We are looking very closely at that. There's a number of countries on our list. <laughs> what would be the advantages? Just a change of pace? Uh, change of pace, cost. Cheaper alcohol? We don't care about that. Neither <laughs> one of us drink particularly. Uh, but for us also is just the cost. Cost of living in Canada is so high compared yeah. to some, so many other countries. And for us, it's income tax as well. And a friend of ours um, was uh, lived in England, owned a home in England, but wasn't entitled to the pension, was retrenched and couldn't get a pension. So he now lives in Mexico, uh, living off the rent for his house, and he is living the life of Riley. He just thinks it's fantastic. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. That's what we're looking at. We've uh, been looking at places like Nicaragua, where we can literally spend all our expenses, food, rent, everything, for less than the price it costs to rent the house we're in right now in Vancouver. Wow. Just for the rent. And you might have people you can stay with down there while you get yourself settled. Sure. There's always somebody. We know a couple Wales. of people. It's very cheap. We right? do. <laughs> <laughs> well, on each episode of Raw at the end or near the end, we have picks, which are ideas or products or something that we think is it's sort of like a show and tell for people who are into motorcycle travel adventure. So let's tackle that right now. Who wants to go first? That's what I thought. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll, go first. I'll go first with Brian's pick, if you like. Okay. Um, seeing he's away, this, is, um, this was his pick. Uh, it's a magazine here called Cycle Talk, which is a free motorcycle magazine that they do um, hard copies that you can pick up in some bike shops, but you can get it online. And it has lots of really interesting editorial um, and road tests and all the usual guff, but it's, it's free and it's rather really good reading and it's Australian cycle talk T-O-R-Q-U-E you can get it online nice. I've seen it it's good I was just um, going to look that up and I realized I can't because we don't have the bandwidth for that <laughs> <laughs> don't disconnect us all no, now it just ran through my mind I thought no no don't do that today is not the day for that <laughs> well Tom since you are our guest for today I, I'm going to take you next and uh, I'm sure you have something good 
Well, I didn't realize this was part of it, so I haven't got anything. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. Look that, around. That wasn't my little topic bit, but I could, Adventure Bike TV is brilliant. <laughs> okay, well, that's I it. I vote for that. Do your pick. Let, let's hear about it. About what? Adventure Bike TV? Yep, that's going to be your pick, so you just tell us about Adventure Bike TV. Okay. Um, it's an hour worth of uh, fantastic bike reviews. Um some great under the visor interviews, as we call it, where we interview people from all around. Uh, Graham Grahamfield, I believe you've been one. I was uh, one. As well. <laughs> um, he was also on for a wheelie episode, wasn't he? Yes, we we for his birthday, um, we we surprised him with a wheelie school. Uh, so so I understand I heard and I don't know if this is just rumor I heard that he never actually learned to do a wheelie that you actually did that in Photoshop putting his bike up like that oh fair play to him fair play to him he did and it was I was watching it going that's terrifying I can't believe you're doing that I'd never try and wheelie that bike it looks like it's gonna just I was slightly worried every time you hit deck it would just drop apart <laughs> but um but no it was um yeah a heart you know a day's worth of playing about and he learns to wheelie but I mean, no. The the show goes live every month. We've we've got actually from net. We've got quite a few um, new presenters and segments coming on. Austin Vince is starting a regular segment with us, um, starting in next month's show. Hopefully, um, it won't be too long before Graham Field has a mini segment in every month's show as well. Uh, so yeah, it's all developing very quickly. And Adventure Bike TV will be at the Hub UK this year, I understand. Yes, we will be. I'm. I'm running a. Um, I'm going to be running a, a workshop about how to, how to film your trip in terms of rather not so much the equipment because that changes so regularly. It's it's a nightmare to keep up with, but more about just some of the uh, the tips and tricks and um, kind of how how to set up how to set up shots when you're when you're out and about there will uh, be so many families that will be so pleased to know that you're doing that <laughs> to, teach me, <laughs> to teach people not to do just the helmet cam shot oh god there's, yes and i'll so be talking times, about that too so many times i get sent films from people who say oh would, would you like to put this in your show and it's it's kind of an hour long and it's all helmet camera footage and you're you're not seeing any of the people that they're meeting. You're just seeing road after road, with normally some music over the top, which is not copy. It has a copyright on it, so we can't use it anyway. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, like most of the videos. Lot. Most of the videos on YouTube are like that. They'll you, you watch the entire video for one tiny little segment. That, I mean, obviously not Adventure Bike TV, but when these these videos that people post for this tiny little segment that has something good in it. Yeah, it's, that, uh, that should be a whole new topic. <laughs> well, with, speaking of that, um, I'm going to skip through my pick and go to my plug because it's very appropriate for the conversation at the moment. Okay, go for it. The 9-Minute Moto Film Festival. We're announcing a partnership with Moto Exped to bring the 9-Minute Moto Film Festival to Horizons Unlimited events worldwide. Now, oh, nice. So what is a nine-minute film festival? It's the brainchild of Neville and Michelle Stowe in Calgary. As the name suggests, the idea is to produce an amazing video of your adventure travels and to keep it less than nine minutes, which Michelle says is the length of Neville's attention span. And I know Michelle, Neville pretty well. Yeah, it's about nine minutes. <laughs> so nine minutes is the, the time limit. The 2016 Nine Minute Moto Film Festival, otherwise known as the 9M or 9MF, will be held May 27 to 29 at 
now listen carefully to you guys in England with boring names. This is going to be held at the Mad Dog Cafe in Dead Man's Flats, Alberta. You gotta <laughs> like that. Gotta I want to like go that. just to be at the location. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Just to say you were there. <laughs> Get the t-shirt. <laughs> so, the results of that event, the winners of the film festival will be screened at most Horizons Unlimited events and you can submit your film for screening at your local HU event and compete for the People's Choice Awards worldwide. So the best films from each HU event compete for international fame and glory and fabulous prizes, which we're working on right now, so we don't know how fabulous they're going to be. And there's a few simple rules for entering. Your film must tell a story. We don't want nine minutes of road. It must be nine minutes or less, PG-13, and no um, borrowed content like music and images covered by copyright. You have to have full rights to all of it. And no brand bashing. And a nine-minute film festival is not a slideshow, so no more than 25% still shots. So see 9mmff.com for more details and to submit your epic. That is great. Now, we had Neville on the, our show, Adventure Ride Radio, and, and we talked about the Nine Minute Film Festival, and I think it's just such a cool idea. But I was going to say, I, I have I have a video of uh, three sections, three minutes each, of straight road shots. Would that work? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> yeah. Um, the big thing is it's got to tell a story. So you've got nine minutes to tell a story, and if you've got more than about 15 seconds of road, I'm pretty sure it's not even going to get past the judges to be shown. <laughs> I, I just love the concept of it, too, because to try and edit something down for nine minutes, it just it, it brings out the creativity, I think, in it. Yeah, it brings yeah, out the creativity and gets rid of so much rubbish. Yeah. And anybody can stay awake for nine minutes. Even Neville can stay awake for nine minutes. Now, uh, now he was saying that there was also, there, there may have been a, a two different, or several different categories, one for commercial, one for non-commercial. Is that still the case? Yes, there is commercial. Well, basically experienced uh, people who know what the red carpet feels like because they've won awards at film festivals and whatever else, and they may actually make money from video and pure amateurs. So Tom can go in this. Tom can go in this. Yes, he can. And Graham and Shirley, come on. Everybody can submit a nine-minute film festival entry. The main thing is a lot of people think, well, I've got to do an hour or I've got 50 hours of video from my wonderful trip and I'm going to really try hard and distill it down and they get to two hours and then they lose the will to live. But if you're only <laughs> doing nine minutes, you're only going to pick a few pieces rather than try and distill. You're going to be selectively picking out the important bits that tell a story, some story. And a story isn't just crash after crash. It's got to be something that's got a beginning, a middle and an end. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's going to be... There's, there's a really good example of this on the current uh, Adventure Bike TV episode uh, of some people who go to Mongolia. and It's got a story, it's got scenes, and it's, it's beautifully done. I didn't see how long it was, but I would imagine it falls at the nine-minute slot. But if anybody wants some inspiration, there was, there's a wonderful little clip on there, which uh, would certainly... It's almost certainly... dead on nine minutes, actually. <laughs> well, there which you episode? go. <laughs> which which episode French, is he's a Frenchman called Remy... Uh, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce his surname because I get it wrong. But his name's Remy, and um, yeah, you should all follow him. He's he's made some other films as well, and they're absolutely spectacular. Which cool. episode is that, Tom? That's the most recent one. So that's season two, episode ten. Okay, we'll have to contact Remy and get him to enter the contest. Yeah, um, definitely. Go to, I'll, uh, well, I'll go drop to, him an email as well. Yeah, you know. definitely. Send it to 9mmff.com. Um, there are a couple of examples of great nine-minute films on there now. When's the closing date, by the way? 
Ah, that's ongoing, basically a week before any particular event. Like if you wanted to submit for Hub UK, it has to be submitted at least a week, preferably two weeks before Hub UK. So, you, uh, so afterwards, there's going to be, is there a final wrap up for a, an overall winner? The overall will be at the 2017 9MMFFF at Mad Dog Cafe in Dead Man's Flats. Oh, say that again. <laughs> quickly or slowly? <laughs> no, really, really quickly. <laughs> Mad Dog Cafe in Dead Man's Flats, yeah, Alberta. You, you forgot the 9MMFFF. Oh, yeah, that's the hard part. <laughs> that's why I skipped it. <laughs> I just short form it to 9M. <laughs> Nice. Good pick. I think that's fantastic. Okay, so let's go to uh, who's next. Well, I've got Sam, so you guys are going to have to help me with, with Sam's here. Okay, so um, what he wanted to talk about was the um, the sheet that I've lost. Want me to do it for you, Jim? Yeah. That's an interesting subject. I'm not sure what it's about. I'm listening. Okay, so so here it is. He wants to talk about the the Chunky Tread Facebook Club, which I know Graham is a part of. So is it my turn then? That was my handoff, you know? So which is that's that's the that's all it's got on your sheet, is it? (laughs) Well no, I can read it, but it just sounds so cold. Okay, well, I, I don't know if I can do it as good as Sam or but better than your attempt so far. Um, Chunky Tread um, is run by a guy called Pete Johnson, and it's, uh, as you might imagine, uh, people who, who, who do various trips. And, and I won't say adventure because we can't define what adventure is. But um, they, they appear at shows. They had and they are going to have this year in April the Manchester Bike Show. And I was there last year. They've got the people on their stand uh, who have, uh, with their bikes, who have done various trips. They're not trying to sell anything. They're simply telling about their trips, promoting. Um, and they're and and it's not you know huge long distance stuff. It's like we've been talking about earlier, two week trips and stuff. But as well as that, um, when I was there last year, they had a, a, a couple of uh, they had Ian Oates there and a couple of authors. There was me and a in the world. Um, a lot more authors. Sam is going to be. And by having these authors on their stand, well, and, I, and I hope I've got this right, but what Chunky Tread do is as a club, they tend to get into the bike shows much cheaper than an individual because they're a club and they can offer quite a lot to the people who come to the bike shows. What they're going to try and start doing is more bike shows and on their stands having more authors so it benefits the author it benefits the audience it benefits the show organizer and this is hopefully going to be uh, something where it's going to bring authors together it's going to bring bikes together and people have uh, who've got quite a lot of information about various uh, places which are, you know close to home i think if you if you'd have written it down on your sheet that's pretty much what sam wanted to say i hope jim yeah, I think you got it there. Is it just me, or is Graham cutting out? Yep. Yep, cutting out. Okay. Oh, sorry <laughs> about that. No, I, th- um, I think we got basically everything you are saying with just missing a, just a few things. Um, Sam also has on here just describing who Pete Johnson is. Uh, he rode 8,535 miles in 32 days, um, reaching 25 out of 33 towns called Manchester in the USA. I thought that was pretty cool because he he's, uh, is he called Road to Manchester, right? Yeah, that's I, I generally sign the book to him road too. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty neat. So now for plugs. Well, actually, I guess we'll go back to Grant first. Grant, I want to hear your pick now. 
Um, we've had a lot of meetings over the years and at all of our, or most of our meetings, we've supported a charity of some sort. So starting in 2015, the HU supported charity has been Do Good As You Go, a volunteer program for independent travelers around the world run by the Muskoka Foundation. Now this isn't just motorcycles, it's anybody who wants to travel. Um, we like it because it connects travelers, in our case, motorcycle travelers, with quality, small to mid-sized organizations, not these giant, huge ones that we don't even notice that we exist. Uh, and they're making a significant positive impact on the local community. So the objective is to fulfill the needs of the organization as well as leverage the unique skill set of our travelers. And of course, we've got all kinds of different skill sets. So in 2015, we raised several thousand dollars for Do Good As You Go at our U.S. and Canadian events where we started the whole thing. And in January, in conjunction with Do Good As You Go, we announced a new program offering adventure travelers the opportunity to be sponsored for volunteer work on their journeys. Many of these travelers are already looking for opportunities to give back to the cultures that provide them the, all these wonderful experiences on their trips. And they want to help the local community, but they don't know how. So now Do Good As You Go makes it possible to do that as they provide programs matching the traveler's strengths and skills to work for the local communities. So now travelers can apply today up until March 19. This is the deadline is March 19, 2016 to apply for a $300 road stipend in exchange for volunteer work at one of the Do Good As You Go's many volunteer locations around the world. And importantly, the commitment to share the story and inspire others to do good as they travel. So to everybody out there, don't miss this amazing opportunity to turn a personal travel of being on the road into a global dream of strengthening cultural economy, sustainability, and unity. So get in there and submit. And even if you don't make it in for the, um, the travel road stipend, get out there and make a difference while you travel. Do Good As You Go is a great way to do it. We love what they do. That's really neat. So they're going to give you money to give to the local charity. So you can go in and you can, you can help them. Is that how it works? You don't even have to give them the money. You, that's to you to help you get there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, if you want to give it to the local community, we'd be honored if you did. Um, give it to the community and spend the money with that community. But the main thing is that you're there and helping them on something specific that that is planned, the correct skills are applied, and you're actually doing something that's going to be useful to them. So basically you're getting this money j just to get in there and is, is there's a certain allotted time I assume that you've committed to and you're going to you're going to help out the community that's what you're getting it for. You're going to have to be there for at least a week or so yeah to do something. Wow, that's really fabulous. That is a great opportunity. 300 bucks and up to March 19th to get that. Wow, that's great. Yep. Make sure you send the links for that of course. Yep. Absolutely. Too good as you go. The Muskoka the Muskoka Foundation. And that's where it gets a little tricky. If you search on Muskoka Foundation, you'll find all kinds of things. It's themuskokafoundation.org. That's great. Okay, so for plugs, oh, you know what, Tom, I bet we just took yours, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I'm just going to let you think about that for a second, Tom, because no. you're going to have to come up with something else now. Oh, you can do the same one again. <clears throat> that's true. He could. There's, there's no rule about that. I mean, you could do the same one again. Do, do you want uh, time, Tom, or...? Yeah, give me time. I'll okay. think of a plug. <laughs> Graham has a good I'm kind one. Of, yeah, well, my plug kind of helps Tom out as well. Um, my plug is more of a plea than a plug. Um, as, as Tom touched on earlier, there's a possibility I might be doing something for Adventure Bike TV. I 
I pitched this idea to Tom and he really liked it, but we need a sponsor. And so I'm hoping that somebody listening might know somebody who's who who might who's got a business that might benefit from having a year's advertising on Adventure Bike TV. And what they would do would be to sponsor my slot on Adventure Bike TV. And I can't actually say what it is I'm doing, but what I can say is it's something that people will have to keep going back to. So it's not <laughs> going to be a one-off, watch it and and be done. It's going to be I need to watch this again need to watch it again so if they were to to have their name above my little slot on adventure bike tv it would be seen again 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 so i need a sponsor or else i'm not going to be able to do this thing that i want to do and it's going to be very entertaining but more importantly it's going to be very very useful for the adventure bike people who go traveling isn't it tom it it genuinely (laughs) when he first pitched it to me i was like yeah, I'm not sure that's going to work. And then he explained how it was going to work. I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so it's it's a properly good and exciting idea, to be fair to him. So really to attract a sponsor, you know, to get somebody to really jump on board with something they, they don't understand that they're sponsoring or what they're sponsoring. Are you going to take a tattoo on the forehead or something? Something like that would be more obvious, Graham? <laughs> Maybe not the forehead. <laughs> Where you thought... <laughs> Oh, darn, you you cut out again, too. And I'm sure we would have liked that. Maybe we don't want to know where he's going to put the tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you like the way he said that? He just says, well, not on the forehead. He's not against the idea. You know, hey, I'll do whatever it takes. He's like, take one for the team. It's where you think my mic was, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone else heard that conversation. (laughs) That's good. Shirley, what do you have to plug? Um, Well... What I was going to plug is um, at the moment I'm listening to Sam's audio book of Under Asian Skies and we talked about it last month and he, we talked about people, writers, reading their own works on audio books and I have to say I'm really enjoying it and um, so that's my plug. If you've got a few hours to spare and you want to listen to something different, listen to Sam reading Under Asian Skies. It's, it's good. It's really good fun. Yeah, it's uh, all, all his books are really good. I've, I've read them all. Um, but um, the nice thing is, I, I really like hearing the author read the book. Do you find that makes a difference with that, knowing that Sam reading it? I, I do, absolutely. I think um, I think it makes a hell of a difference. I love Bill Bryson's books, and he has written, he has read some of his own as audio books, and they're much better than the ones that are read by someone else. And I think Sam just brings an extra light to the whole story because it is his experience. Yeah, my my example my example is that um, the the long way round one that they have uh, two other people read. There's something about it that always left me grasping. To, you know, there, there just seems like there was something missing. You know, when when I'm listening to them. Why read. would you Why would you have a book written by two actors, read by someone else? Because <laughs> it's just all. That's what it's all about. Acting. <laughs> yeah. Actors on actors. Yeah, yeah some actors aren't voice actors. There's a difference. I'm no, told. I think those two could have done that book really well. But oh, I think so too. Yeah, I think I I just think it's better to hear that that real voice, you know, the, the yeah. person. It's personal. Yeah, it's real. Well, I have um I have Sam's promo, his me promo, and um his is that he's going to be at the uh, the chunk chunky tread stand, um, 
And what does it say? He says, to, to quote Pete Johnson, 144 square meters of chunky chaps and chaps, chapesses? Chapesses, I guess. Riders with tales to tell. This is the third year Chunky Tread will have a stand at the Manchester Motorcycle Show. So that's the Manchester Motorcycle Show in the UK, April 2nd and 3rd. Uh, are you going to that one, Graham? No, I'm, I'm not going to be doing any shows this uh, this summer. I'm hopefully going to be doing some riding instead. So, uh, But I did it last year, and it was brilliant. I was a little bit worried because Manchester's got a bit of a reputation of being quite hard people. Um, but it was in the right way because it pissed with rain both days, but it didn't stop people attending. And I met some really good, memorable people who were genuinely interesting and interested in what we were doing. And uh, it was a really good show. Yeah, it was a really good show. What do you mean hard people or, or tough people? Well, they're, they're Manchulians, Northern England, you know, you know, they, they think we're Southern softies down where I used to live. And uh, so I thought, oh, you know, they're going to hear my accent and I'm going to get uh, they're going to give me a bunch of crap for being some Southern softy, but actually they weren't. It was just uh, their reputation and it was wrong. Well, I guess at the stand, they're going to have overlanding authors, Derek Mansfield, Nathan Millward, um, Steve Stewart, uh, who apparently has a book called Riding the Americas, uh, which I'm not aware of. Um, who else they have here? Uh, Ren Withnell. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he Parker. was there last year. And Bernard Smith, I think, is going to be there again, isn't he? Yeah, he is on here that, um, I, I guess, if if life doesn't get in the way, uh, Bernard Smith, um, Ian Coates, Gary Pitchford. Um, he also listed uh, Dave Fenton, Alex J. Jackson, and Nick Sykes. Yeah, yeah, good bunch of people. Really good bunch of people. So that's great. So so what they're doing is is they're really bringing an adventure segment to the, the shows then. Okay, um, these these people, a lot of them don't have products to sell. They're just there to inform and encourage and inspire, and they're very easy to talk to. And uh, it's it's a great stand to to walk past and end up an hour has passed before you've walked away from it. Yeah, it should be a good event. Um, Tom, what did you figure out? Um, I think I would like to plug. I think um, I think it's important to do it as much as I can. Really, is to plug. Um, the last two guys who have given us our uh, travel journal films, uh, our travel journal films are on the show are are sent in by people, and, and um, sadly we don't have the budget to to give them money, but they do it for exposure. So I think it's only fair that we give them as much as we can when you got the opportunity to. The last two episodes have been properly spectacular, actually, and they've both come from uh, some French guys. Um, the first one is the one that's in the most recent show, and his name is, I'm going to try to say his name right, it's Remy Chapeau Blanc, which is Chap E-A-U Blanc, um, however you pronounce that. Sorry, my dyslexia is hitting here. And the month before, we had another spectacular film, <coughs> um, which was all, um, which, yeah, I mean, just watch it. it, it they're, they're both brilliantly shot. Uh, they both tell a really nice story without actually having too much dialogue. Uh, so they're really telling it through through the film itself. Um, and the other guy was a guy called Fred Giroud, which is G-I-R-O-U-D. Um, uh, both these guys, um, their films are mostly on Vimeo. They They tend to use the... Uh, the French I found are very much more behind Vimeo than they are YouTube. 
Um, but search for them both on Vimeo. They've both got lots of other videos and they are absolutely superb and brilliant watching. Uh, and certainly the last two shows wouldn't have been anywhere near as good if it wasn't for those spectacular films. So I urge everyone to go and check out their other work. Well, that's great. So we've got, um, does anyone else have anything to add? Do, do we leave anything out? Do we miss anyone? Well, I, th- I think we're going to wrap it up there, everyone. That was that was great. Tom, Tom Woodrow, Adventure Bike TV, thank you very much for coming on. You've been a fantastic guest for us today. Thank you. It's been uh, fantastic doing it. Well, that wraps up Adventure Rider Radio Raw for March 9th, 2016. And, um, well, I guess from here, you, you probably best go out and ride your bike, right? Thank you very much, Sounds everyone. Cheers. Thanks. See you, everybody. Bye. See bye. ya. Bye, Shirley. See ya. Bye. This reminds me of that that show that used to be on TV a long time with the Brady Bunch, you know, where they would always say goodnight to No, was that Brady Bunch? <laughs> no, wasn't that another... the Waltons? Oh, oh my God. God. You watched the Waltons? I can't believe <laughs> you watched Jim the Waltons. <laughs> you know, I, well, I would never like have admitted a, to that. Like a bit of a saddo, I've text I text into Chris Evans' radio show many times. Various times that because they say, Oh, if there's something big in your life happening, both times my kids were kids were born, they said Oh, go on. Just um, uh, so I sent I sent in a text, and he didn't read them out. And other things, I got new job, and I sent in a text. Didn't I? the only one he ever read out that I sent in was saying, "What happens when you've actually finished interviewing someone? Do they just hang up, or does someone else talk to them?" And that's the only one they ever read out. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? Slated me and were telling me, to, 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 "I don't know. It's, do you, I can't believe you care." And I was like, "Oh no, I'm being slated." <laughs> now, now, right now, we're giving the listener uh, an insight into what happens when the show is done. Oh, is it? Is it will this still be on the show? This it? is still yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, after, after the first one, there was an after-show party at my place, but it's somebody else's turn to host it. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking Shirley. Um, well, I know Brian's not there, but you've, you know, why don't we pop over there? Yeah, why not? I'll put the front light on. Okay, <laughs> perfect. We'll be there. <laughs> after-show party, Australia at the Rix's. Okay. Cheers, folks. Cheers, everyone. Thanks again, eh? Bye-bye. Well, that about wraps up this one. We're done for the day. Done for the month, for that matter. Comes out once a month, ARR Raw. And you can find out more about this by dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com forward slash raw. And hey, if you like what we're doing, you're enjoying the show, and you want to keep it coming to you for free, consider dropping us a donation. Drop by the website, same one I just gave you, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the donate button. Before I wrap it up, I want to say a special thanks to our contributors, which is Grant Johnson, Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, and Brian Ricks. Thanks to all of them. And of course, our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, who keeps things going in the background here. Now, if you have an idea or you'd like to hear us talk about something on the roundtable here, simply drop by the website, same one, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the comment button. Let us know what you think of the show or tell us what you have for a suggestion. My name is Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next month.